a person can get to the point where the teeth are even loose and they're coming to the dentist now because they have spaces between their teeth, not because they have pain. Gum disease can certainly affect other parts of the body. It's been shown to be related to a higher incidence of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, and even erectile dysfunction. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. We are on location today at the Center for the Treatment of Dental Implant Complications with Dr. Stuart Fromm. I'm so excited to have you on Muscle Medicine Podcast and just share your wealth of knowledge because you have so many years of expertise. Thank you very much, Emily. Let's dive right in. I wanted to open it up by talking about how the effects of like missing teeth, right? And sometimes we think, oh, we only miss teeth when we're age, right? But you were showing me some great examples before we started recording of like these young women who, whether it was genetically or they lost a tooth, were missing teeth. So what's the importance of replacing it and not just leaving an open space? Most people, if they have a tooth missing in the aesthetic zone, and that's the area that you see when a person smiles or opens their mouth, want to replace the missing teeth for cosmetic reasons. Right. But when teeth are lost, there are many more reasons and many things that problems that can occur with missing teeth. And when a tooth is lost, several things happen. And this could happen anywhere in the mouth except for the wisdom teeth. First, when a tooth is lost, the bone that's holding that tooth in begins to atrophy or disappear. And within the first six months, 50% of that bone disappears. If that continues, the person usually develops a depressed area in their mouth, in the jawbone in that spot. That can reflect in the face with a uh, sunken in look or a collapsed look in the side of the face. So like, not only does it affect the appearance of the teeth, but also like the facial structure. Correct. Okay. Another thing that can occur with missing teeth is that there could be a change in the bite. There often is a change in the bite and uh, the jaws become misaligned. When that happens, a person quite often develops uh, temporal mandibular joint problems. So like jaw pain. Jaw pain. Yeah. And this jaw pain can radiate to the neck or to the head. But usually when there's a loss of teeth and there's a prolonged time that the teeth are missing, the other muscles in the body compensate for this by adapting to the new bite and the misalignment. And when they do this, a person can have pain in their neck, in their shoulders, in their back, down their spinal cord, all the way to the tips of their toes. And this could all be related to the misaligned bite. However, replacing the teeth then becomes a multi-discipline procedure because these people, in addition to seeing a dentist who can restore the teeth, restore the bite, often have to see a chiropractor 
or an orthopedic specialist to realign the muscles, both first to the change bite and then back to the normal bite. Yeah. So that missing tooth throws off our bite, right? Which is like every time we eat, but also probably just like moving through the world and then affects our whole body from the top down. What people don't understand is it's not only every time you eat. You bring your teeth together over 1,200 times a day when you swallow. I didn't know that. So wow. every time you bring your teeth together, those, that muscle strain is occurring. The uh, misaligned bite is affecting all of those muscles, and the patients feel pain. Yeah. Do you find, because I know you had also mentioned that like a missing tooth can affect nutrition. So like the tooth's missing, they start to change what they're putting in their body, right? Because maybe they can't chew as well. And then they're not getting maybe their nutritional needs. Have you found that? Studies have found when people have missing teeth, their eating habits change from eating fiber foods, fruits, and vegetables to eating soft snacks, sweet foods. And this certainly, as anyone knows, would have an effect on the entire body, particularly on the cardiovascular system. Mm, I see. So you were talking about, okay, the tooth is missing, and then the bone where the tooth was supposed to be, you start to lose that bone. It starts to atrophy, right? So w why do you get bone loss, right? You would think, oh, the tooth's gone. It just, <laughs> it just should stay there. <laughs> bone loss is caused by bacteria. And oh, okay. bacteria that reside in the mouth form between the tooth and the gum tissue. And we call that the pocket or the sulcus. Now, if that bacteria is not removed regularly or correctly, the bacteria will form what we call a microbiome. That's like a little colony of bacteria. And they eat everything that the person eats. And they work on that food and they develop chemicals and enzymes that cause inflammation and bone loss. So it's really a bacterial problem. I see. So you're talking about like creating gum disease, right? Correct. Right. So are there different kinds of kinds of gum disease? Is gum disease just gum disease or? Well, there are various types of gum disease. The ones that are the most prevalent are gingivitis and periodontitis. Gingivitis, everyone's heard of because if you watch a commercial, they all talk about gingivitis. That's an inflammation in the gums. The gums become red. They may bleed when you brush your teeth. The good news about gingivitis is that it's completely reversible. If you clean your mouth properly or clean, improve your home care and have a good dental maintenance visit, the inflamed gums will then become healthy. So like a good brushing and flossing routine. Correct. Got it. Periodontitis, on the other hand, is the more severe form. That's where not only is there inflammation in the gums, but the inflammation also affects the bone and you wind up with loss of bone around the tooth. And if this is not cured or treated, the bone loss could become progressive, the tooth loosen up, and a patient could lose a tooth due to that. So this is like serious. It's serious. not just like you need to floss more. <laughs> no, no. It's a little more than that. It's a little more than that. So what's the prevalence of gum disease? In an NIH study, it was found that 42% of individuals in the United States over 30 years of age have some form of gum disease. 42. 42%. So I would that's say that's high. a high prevalence. Yeah. Okay. And then of these 42%, do you think they know? Do you, I mean, I would feel like most people don't know that they have 
something's going on up there in the mouth. Is it affecting other parts of the body? Is that how they know? In most cases, they don't know because gum disease can progress with no pain at all. It's not like when someone gets a cavity in a tooth and all of a sudden they feel pain and they're calling the dentist up at 11 o'clock at night, get me in. This can progress with no pain whatsoever. And a person can get to the point where the teeth are even loose and they're coming to the dentist now because they have spaces between their teeth, not because they have pain. Gum disease can certainly affect other parts of the body. It's been shown to be related to a higher incidence of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, and even erectile dysfunction. Stop it. All true. <laughs> so all that Viagra prescribed could be uh, avoided. <laughs> in studies that were done, believe it or not, in Turkey, they found that men who had periodontal disease were more prone to erectile dysfunction and vice versa. They also did studies where they intervened and they cured the periodontal disease. And many of these people, when the periodontal disease was treated and eliminated, also had an elimination of the erectile dysfunction. Wow, that's amazing. If you were going to look at someone's gums, like you were in conversation with someone, what would be signs that there's gum disease? Or if someone looks at themselves in the mirror, you know, the listener's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't want to get diabetes. I don't want to have heart disease. I don't want my man to get erectile dysfunction. How can I know? Like, does, do they have to see a specialist or they can kind of do a little self-assessment? You know, a self-assessment many times can be accurate or not accurate. For example, usually if someone has a gum disease, the gums may be a little red, they may bleed or may not bleed when they brush their teeth. Many times when they brush their teeth, if they see bleeding, they don't brush the teeth or they stay away from that. So the best way to detect whether or not someone has gum disease is to go for an examination where the specialist, in my case, the periodontist, will look at each of the gums. They'll measure the space between the gum and the tooth They'll look at the x-rays and see if there's any bone loss, and then they could diagnose not only the presence of the disease, but the stage of involvement. Interesting. Okay. So let's go back to missing teeth, right? Because there's an aesthetic quality, not only visually from looking at the teeth, but also the face. It can affect internally. So how does someone get a missing tooth replaced? There are several ways. The first, and uh, which is the simplest, is to have a removable partial denture. Some people call that a flipper. And that's where the dentist takes an impression, sends it to the lab, and what's returned is a false teeth that uh, with the same color as the adjacent teeth, they match the uh, color match, that's embedded in, a, uh, in an acrylic base, and that's placed in the area where the teeth are missing. It stays in that area by hooks that hook onto the teeth on either side. The advantage of that is that it's the least expensive method of doing it. There's no surgeries involved, and it's simple. Uh, the disadvantage is it doesn't stop the bone loss that occurs when there's no tooth in the spot. And the other thing is that many times these partial dentures, as we call them, move in function. So when they chew, they bite, they speak, the denture is moving around. And most of the people I know who have partial dentures wind up wearing them in their purses or their, their pockets rather than in their mouths, except when they go out and have to be seen. I see. So they're hard to function with. 
I feel like there might be a potential for like more bacteria exposure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They move around. They have more food getting caught underneath yeah. it. All, all of the above. The second way of replacing a missing tooth is what we call a fixed bridge. This is where the teeth that border the missing tooth or teeth are cut down and made into crowns. And these crowns are then connected to false teeth, which all match. And they're- Like fake teeth. Like fake teeth. Okay. They're soldered together in one unit, covered with the porcelain, and then cemented onto the remaining teeth. The bridge does is not taken out. It can't be taken out. It functions as normal teeth would be on that side. A person can chew on them, can function, can smile. The disadvantage, of course, is, as I said, you have to cut down two perfectly good teeth or more to be able to make that bridge. It's also a little difficult for patients to clean underneath. And again, that bridge does not maintain the jawbone. The last and probably today most popular way of replacing missing tooth is with an implant. And implants sound a little scary, but let me tell you what they are. They're non-reactive metal screws, usually made of titanium or they could be made of porcelain, that are placed into the jawbone and actually fused to the jawbone after a few months. You don't have to worry about going on the metal detector, won't go off. You don't have to worry about taking MRIs. There's, they're completely safe in that way. Once they fuse to the bone, a post is put into the implant, and on that post is a crown is placed. And the crown is made of porcelain or zirconium, which matches the adjacent teeth. So an implant is an excellent way of replacing a tooth. Most importantly, an implant, different than the other replacements, can actually retain the jawbone because it acts like a tooth to bring stimulus to the jawbone every time you bite on it. So it retains jawbone. Is that because of like the screw plate? Like it's like putting pressure on the bones. The bone's like, oh, I, I have pressure because, on me. I need to Because maintain. like a tooth, the bone fuses to the implant. So every time you bite on the implant, this gives stimulus to the bone. It would be the same thing if, some, if someone had osteoporosis and you tell them to do weight-bearing exercise. So it sounds like that latter option, the implants are the most effective. I think so. Yeah. Does it also minimize the amount of bacteria that can get under the tooth? Well, implants, particularly if they're single units, are as easy to clean as a tooth. Oh, okay. You know, so it's not that difficult to clean an implant. So would you say that most people are in the country today getting implants or are some practitioners still using those other examples that you gave? Well, the only downside with an implant, and a lot of people, when they hear this, they get a little frightened, is the fact that they requ it requires surgery. And the surgery it, requ it requires is done under local anesthesia. I do almost 99% of these in my office under local anesthesia. Some people who are very, very nervous insist on being uh, having IV sedation. But 99% of that, them are put in under local anesthesia the same anesthesia that uh, you would get if you had a filling done or a crown done. And the placing of the implant is not really a major surgery. It's a minor surgery. Although I will tell you one thing. There was a famous basketball player some years ago named Joe Walt. And they asked him his definition of minor surgery. And he said, minor surgery is surgery they do on someone else. <laughs> so uh, there's still some surgery involved, but the surgery itself... Afterward, 
during the surgery, no pain. Afterward, the discomfort is pretty similar to, but even less than when you have a tooth removed. So if you see people who have missing teeth, they have these aesthetic changes, they have pain and discomfort, have you gone in, put in an implant, and seen changes in their physical body? Oh, for sure. In fact, we had one patient who came to the dental school, and he was a gentleman or maybe in his mid-30s, and he in very good shape and muscular and all, and he came in with a walker. And I asked him what happened, and he said he exercised maybe about six days a week, and he, he sprained his, uh, his back, and the sprain didn't go away for, for about a year. So he was going to a uh, chiropractor, he was going to a muscle specialist, and he still had the problem. Well, when he sat down in a chair, I looked at his mouth, it was a mess. He had implants that were placed that were not doing well. I had to take out some of those implants, replace them. Some of his own teeth were not doing well. We had to remove a few and crown some others, but we restored his bite. One month after we finished the restorations, he came back to the school for a checkup, wasn't using the walker, walked in as healthy as could be. He was a different person. That was because like the bite was restored? The bite was restored, and the balance of the body was restored too. Wow. So when you say that there's an implant that was not working, like someone else had placed it improperly, or like what, what does that mean? Well, an implant could either be placed improperly or develop what we spoke about in terms of peri-implant disease, and he had a combination of both. One of his implants was placed in a position where to put a crown on it, really threw his whole jaw off. So implants have to be placed in ideal positions. And they can if done by someone who knows what they're doing and is experienced. So what is, um, you had mentioned it, peri-implantitis. Is it like inflammation of the implants? Peri-implantitis is inflammation of the gums around the the implant with bone loss around the implant. Okay, and that's a misplaced implant. Not necessarily. Periimplantitis can also occur on well-placed implants when a patient is just not cleaning it well. Okay. So there's like a practitioner and then the user has to be- Both parts. Exactly right. Doing the work. And so if there's inflammation around an implant, like what, what starts to happen? Well, if there's inflammation around an implant, the treatment for that would be vary anywhere from non-surgical treatment to laser treatment to surgical treatment, depending on the severity of the disease. If it's a minor disease, could be treated usually non-surgically with an excellent result. In advanced periimplantitis, where there's 50% or more of bone loss, that requires a certain procedures, certain surgical procedures, where you actually go in there and try to build back the bone and build back the gums around the implant. And in an article that I published back, I think uh, must be now about five or six years ago, we treated 170 implants with peri-implantitis and in 100 patients consecutively. And out of the 170 implants, we only lost two. We had a success rate of 98% success. And we followed these patients for anywhere from two to 10 years. Now it's been 13 or 14 years since we've been following these people and they still have healthy teeth. I mean, this is your specialty, right? People come to you because they've had complications 
and they're looking for you to fix probably someone else's work, right? Well, kind of. Uh, I gave a lecture in Las Vegas some years back on implant complications. And most people didn't talk about implant complications because the implant companies wouldn't sponsor it. <laughs> they were a little upset. But complications do occur. They occur in about 50% of the implants over a period of 10 years. That's, a, that's high. It's no? high. Okay. But the complications could be minor or they could be major. And I wrote a book on implant complications back in 2012. I wrote the second edition in 2016. They're asking me now to do a third edition. And what it describes is what could go wrong with implant placement and implant follow-up afterward. And if the implant is monitored on a regular basis and patients come in regularly to have their implants checked, cleaned, and monitored, then the diseases can usually be detected early on. The earlier it's detected, the better the results. What's like a regular, is that like once a year? Depending on how well a patient cleans their mouth, we make make a determination. If a patient is cleaning their mouth very, very well, I usually have them come in every six months. If a patient is cleaning their mouth, if they have implants and they're cleaning their mouth not so well, I may have them coming in every three months. Each time they come in, they get a maintenance visit. We clean the implants and they clean in a special way not to damage them. And then we go over the patient's home care and customize their home care to what they have in their mouth and their skills. Some people are just not able to use toothbrushes correctly. And I, and we may recommend water picks, or we re- may recommend irrigating devices or certain mouthwashes. Yeah. So I think listeners really have to think that these daily habits that we create of like good oral hygiene, getting regular checkups is not only just for like the aesthetic look of our teeth, but really can affect the entire body. Absolutely. Do you have any other, like, I'm sure you have thousands, but like any other case studies where you've seen people who had poorly placed implants or missing teeth and it was, it was kind of like one of those miracles, like they were seeing all the doctors, the Cairo, the PT, the ortho, but like they just weren't getting better until you started to correct their bites? Well, we had some people that were really suffering one of them had implants placed four times and they failed all four times. I can't even imagine going through yeah. <laughs> oral and, surgery four times. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, well, uh, she wanted an implant. Okay. She really wanted the implant. And uh, she came to my office. I did a thorough examination on her because I wanted to know why the implants were failing. That was, uh, that was my question. But she wouldn't tell me the names of the people who put the implants in. Many times they don't, uh, they, the patient won't tell you because they don't want the person to be involved or they want the person to be involved later on in, in a different way. But so I took a look at her mouth. When I did a thorough examination, I noticed she was taking a number of medications for osteoporosis. And there are certain medications that patients can take. They fall into the bisphosphonate family like Fosamax and others which actually slow down the breakdown of bone, but they can cause major problems like osteonecrosis, bone dying yeah. when they have surgery done. So That's scary. I, I called up her physician and we arranged together that she would stop the bisphosphonate for a period of time. It was called the bisphosphonate vacation. And uh, <laughs> she came in afterward and I ran, we ran some blood tests on her 
as I do with all my implant patients, I did a three-dimensional x-ray on her, which came back with the bone density, and the site looked like it was ready for an implant placement. And what I do with all my patients is I make a guide to make sure that the implant is going to go in, in the site that we wanted to. I made sure that the uh, scan that she took that I put up on my computer so that we uh, were able to put the uh, best fitting implant into the area. And I used an implant that had a proactive surface. That's an implant that actually attracts bone. Other people were using implants that were a little less expensive that you can get over the internet, but they weren't, I felt, as good as this one. And the implant was placed. The implant integrated. That means it fused to the bone. She had a crown put on. It's now several years later, and she's thrilled. She's smiling. These, these were in the front of her mouth, so they were m much more technique sensitive. But she came back, and she was very happy with, uh, with the result. I'm curious, what kind of blood work do you run before she came in? Like, what are you looking for? Well, if a patient has a problem, a physical problem, I consult with their doctors. Yeah. And if they have been taking Fosamax, there's a, a blood test uh, for bone turnover. It's called the CTX test that they can get in any lab or they can get in uh, from their doctor's office. And depending on the, on the score of that CTX test, I see if they're in, within the normal range of bone turnover. If they're not, then they go on the bisphosphonate vacation and we test them again. And when they test in the normal range, that's when we go in and do the procedure. So let's say with that test, it's not in the normal range. What would you do? Well, I would send her back to her physician yeah. and say, get her in the normal range. Do whatever you have to in terms of doing that. Now, we do have ways today, some newer ways, of making bone denser. We have a certain what's called osseodensification techniques where we can actually take bone that is more soft bone and make the bone into a more dense bone just by using these special burrs prior to putting an implant in. But as I said, we do have techniques, even with people who have osteoporosis and have low density, if they don't have any major physical problems, uh, to densify the bone yes. and make it a little more denser. These are some of the newer techniques. And when someone is looking for a dentist to put an implant in or a specialist to put an implant in, they should look for someone who's up on the latest techniques and knows what's happening because I've had the uh, person I told you before who lost the four implants. Only one dentist out of the four that would place the implants even took a scan on the woman, they took a three-dimensional x-ray. And I wouldn't put an implant in without having that three-dimensional x-ray and that guide. What does that three-dimensional x-ray show you? The three-dimensional x-ray shows you the bone jaw in three dimensions, the actual dimensions of the jaw. Any x-ray that's normally taken is a two-dimensional x-ray, and it won't show you sort of thickness. You'll see how flat the person is, but you don't see how thick they are. So what the three-dimensional x-ray shows you is all the thickness, the height, the width, and the density of the bone, which can't be detected on a regular x-ray. And that will help you determine like the size, the shape. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And the fact that I can put it on my computer and test different implants in there. In the program I have, 
it's almost the same program you have with a GPS system when you're backing up, and if you get too close to a car, you get a beep. Well, if I put an implant in and it's too close to another implant, I get a beep. If I put an implant <laughs> in and I'm getting too close to the nerve, I get another beep. Okay. <laughs> so other than, like, what else should people look for when they're looking for an implant specialist, right? Because I think most people have no clue. Obviously, this woman went through four people, right? So, like, <laughs> well, it's common. Uh, what you shouldn't look for is advertisements in the newspapers that tell you, you know, free implants, so we'll give you an implant <laughs> for X, Y, and uh, Buy uh, one, get the second one, one and get, have two, get, get two free. What you should look for is somebody who's an experienced specialist uh, who ha devotes most of his or her practice to doing implants. It would help if you look for someone who teaches and this can all be found out, I say, by Googling the person on your computer. Also, someone who's written any articles on implants. I've written over 180 articles. Almost half of them are on implants. Anyone who's written any books or contributed any chapters to books on implants, that's someone who other people are reading and learning from. Yeah. Is there like a one-site source? Like, these people are with an association and... This association, you know, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, the whole point of the show is for people to really take their health into their own hands and be good researchers. But like, you know, I think of some of my patients. It's like a mom with three kids, yeah. you know, so trying to like difficult. Google on the side, like, how do I well, find a good? <laughs> uh, there's an American Academy of Periodontology. Okay, they can recommend an implant dentist who belongs to this organization, who's a periodontal specialist in their area. So that's one way that a person could actually do this without having to you know, go through all these searches. I will say one other thing. People have asked me about limits in, in age of having an implant. Yeah. And we're just finishing a study. I'm, I'm the director of clinical research in our Department of Perioid Implant Dentistry at NYU. And we're just uh, completing a study on implants being placed in people who are seniors over 60 years of age. And our findings so far, and I'm giving you a heads up on this, is that the success rate of people who are 60 years old and, and older is about the same as people who are 30 years old and from 30 to 50. The, 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 the success rate is about the same. I had a woman come to my office who was in her late 90s. And she was referred to me by her son, who was a patient of mine. And she had been wearing dentures for years, and she hated them. She changed her entire diet to a soft diet. The only thing that was really suffering on her was her digestive system because she was eating all soft foods. And she asked me to put implants in her mouth. And Like full? The full up upper. Oh, full upper, upper. okay. That's a lot. And, and that's a lot. That's a lot. It meant also, since she had lost a lot of bone through the years, as I mentioned, without teeth, it meant building up the bone first and then putting implants in. And to be perfectly honest, I was hesitant to do it. So I uh, figured I would call up her physician and he would nix it. So I called the physician <laughs> up and I said, I have a patient here, and I'll, I won't mention her name. I'll say Emily. I have a patient here named Emily Smith. She wants implants. And I'm a little hesitant because I'd have to build up the bone and well, it would take more than a year to do this. And she's already 98, 99 years old. Well, he looks through his papers. I hear him rustling through his papers and he says to me, Emily, yeah, yeah go ahead and do it. <laughs> well, I was caught between a rock and a hard place and I went ahead and did it. Well, 
last year in April, we celebrated her 107th birthday. Oh my gosh. And she was here with her son. And she saw a, uh, in front of my office on 54th Street, she saw a truck that was selling lobster rolls. And she wanted a lobster roll. She has an aide with her too from the West Indies. So she says, I'd like a lobster roll. So he says, Ma, lobster rolls are no good for you. No good. She's 107. It's no good for you. <laughs> so she says, I really like a lobster roll. So her aide says to him, I still remember, and I'm quoting, Mama wants a lobster roll. Mama gets a lobster roll. <laughs> she walks out. She got a lobster roll. She walks in, and she's sitting in my waiting room in heaven eating those lobster rolls. She said, Dr. Fromm, I love you. The last time I've had a lobster roll was almost 40 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Now, we go to the other end of the scale, and that is many young people who have missing teeth either due to accidents, uh, trauma, or congenitally missing lateral incisors, which occur in about 4 to 8% of the population. And I had a young girl come in here, and she was 21 years old. And I will wait with women, usually until they're at least 18, because I want them to get, get through their growth spurts. Men, usually it's 21. But she was 21 years old, very pretty girl, very pretty girl, and very sweet. Everyone in my office fell in love with her. And she had two missing lateral incisors. Those are the teeth next to the centrals. And she was... So like, kind of like the pointy ones. Like, correct. Okay. Correct. No, the, the ones next to the pointy ones. Oh, the ones next to the pointy right. ones. Okay, got it. And um, she was, even though she was so pretty, she was kind of embarrassed. She would cover her mouth when she spoke. She had a number of removable teeth put in there because the dentist wouldn't put in implants. They were s small spaces too. So she was kind of embarrassed to speak and her, the dentures they put in and the bonded teeth kept falling out. And she asked me if I could do it for her. I took a scan. I saw she had good bone. I used a specialized implant. It, we call it a narrow diameter implant, which works very well, only it's narrower than most of the standard implants. And I put one implant in each of the lateral areas. I was able to then wait until the implant fused, which took a couple of months, put two crowns on them. And she came back smiling from ear to ear. And her parents told me this changed her personality because she was as pretty as she was. She was shy. She didn't date much at all. She was kind of embarrassed. And it turned into someone who was outward and had many, many friends. And she was just very happy. Her self-esteem went up. Yeah. So implant resolution could occur and changes could occur in people who are 21 years old and people who or 101 years old. Yeah, yeah. What a great, uh, what's some great stories. It's funny to think that the first story, it's like, well, she's 98. But you're like, her teeth lasted almost a decade. <laughs> They're like, There's another decade of her life that she's finding joy in things that she probably hasn't in a really long time. Quality of life. Yeah. So I think when people think of dental work in general, in plants, they think, like, I better save up. <laughs> What do implants, I'm sure there's a range depending on whether they're the ones that you get like from the internet or some ones that are higher quality, but what are people looking at in terms of affordability or price? Well, as I mentioned earlier, at NYU at a dental school where students are doing this, okay, and dental school fees are lower than private practice fees, right. we're talking about about $2,560 or so for the implant and the restoration. Per tooth. Per tooth. Got it. In private practice, I'd say the fees would probably be about 60, 50 or 60% higher than that. 
Again, it all depends on whether it's a what I call a slam dunk or simple procedure, or it requires more work on the part of myself in rebuilding some of the bone that I mentioned earlier that has disappeared due to the fact that you haven't had teeth in that area for a while, or any special cases like I'm talking about where I'm dealing with patients who've had failure after failure. But if a person is comparing an implant with a fixed bridge, the fee for the implant, which would avoid cutting down any additional teeth rather than the crowns, is less than for a fixed bridge. So, you know, if you compare the two and a person wants to get a stable, fixed restoration in their mouth, I think the implant is the way to go. Yeah. Where can people find you? Because literally you have people fly from all over the world, right? True. To come (laughs) fix (laughs) complications that they've had. So where can people find you? Not only like in real life, but online. Well, online, my website is www.drdrstuartfrome.com. Okay. Stuart with S-T-U-A-R-T. My email address is dr dot from f-r-o-u-m at verizon.net and it's easy to find my office i'm right across the street from the museum of modern art on 54th street between fifth and sixth so center of manhattan center of manhattan (laughs) and then are you active because i know you've done many research articles published a lot probably you have your own books when people are researching what what would they be researching to find some of your your work well if they look on my website they can really see and really if they're interested in any one topic of any of the articles that i've published they can just hit me up and i'll send them a copy of the uh, the article nice. i'm also on pubmed they can look me up on pubmed if they want to look at a specific article my book is called implant complications very simple it's published by wiley blackwell and if they want to look through that they can i teach at nyu i'm a clinical professor in the department of perio and implant dentistry so if they can't find me anywhere else just call up the school (laughs) and then are you on facebook instagram all those fun social media sites you know i'm on i'm on facebook but i'm not uh my my computer expert handles all my facebook right. business so, you're too busy doing surgery you know uh, <laughs> you don't need to be taking selfies <laughs> i have no I, I stay away from the selfies but i have enough pictures uh on the on the book that they'll be able to recognize nice. me and you have lots of photos of success stories transformations well most of the uh, articles that i've written they've been written about techniques and they show examples of uh, what someone may have, which is one or more missing teeth and how we've restored them and how they look and how they function. So amazing. Good way of knowing. So like more of the story, teeth, missing teeth, affects your bite, affects how your whole body functions, affects your digestion, affects your smile aesthetically. It's important to get taken care of if you have that issue. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was so great sitting down with you. You're like, right, we're like basically neighbors. Neighbors. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. 
Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys so much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here.